Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Before I start the uh, message today, I just want to encourage you to uh, to be in prayer for some folks in our church family that are in need of prayer. Uh, little Jeff Jones has uh, uh, been is going to be having bypass surgery tomorrow. And uh, so we need to be in prayer for him. Some of you may already know that, but he went to the doctor this past week and uh, uh, heart cath was done and determined that there needed to be bypass surgery taking place this uh, this coming week. So they, he'll go in tomorrow morning for that. Uh, also, uh, Scotty Dorsey has um, been diagnosed with COVID, with, and, but also this morning his grandmother died so we kind of had a one-two punch there for him and his family and just in just a reminder to us that there are a lot of folks in our community in our church uh, that are in need right now that we need to be reaching out to and caring for and ministering to and so look for those opportunities when they come and take those opportunities when they come to minister to somebody share uh, a word of uh, prayer with them and a word of encouragement to them means so much during those times like that. And I know that you know that um, all of us have been on the receiving end of those words of encouragement. It means a lot. And so let's make sure that we do that uh, as well. Um, the word why, I want to start the message with the word why. Uh, it's just a simple word. It's a word that means for what, for what reason, for what cause, for what purpose. We use that word to ask those kinds of questions. Uh, maybe, you know, you finish up the service today and walk out and somebody meets you in the parking lot or before you leave the building and says, hey, man, can you drop by my office this week? Can you can you come by the house this week? And you may go, why? What's what's the reason? What What's your reason for me coming by the house, coming by your office? You may take your car to the mechanic and, and ask the mechanic, you know, why is my car making this noise? Why is my car doing this? What's the, what's the cause? You're asking the mechanic, what's the cause of that? Um, maybe someone invites you to come and be a part of uh, an organization or a group or something like that. And, and you, you may, before you join you may you may ask, you know, why was this group formed? What's the purpose of this group? And, and so those questions, the question of why is a question that we use a lot. Sometimes people say this, and I, uh, I, I'm not sure I, can, I agree with this, but sometimes folks say, you shouldn't ask God why. You should never ask God why. And I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure about that. I know why we say that. I know the reason that a lot of people say that is because uh, we tend to think that if I ask why, then that means that my faith is not where it should be, or my faith is struggling. Well, can I tell you, sometimes my faith falters. Uh, sometimes when I'm in the midst of a struggle, my faith gets weak. Anybody else? Your faith st uh, str struggles sometimes in your faith. It's not that I lose faith. It's not that I quit believing God, but sometimes, man, my faith gets hit. I take a hit, and I struggle, and I stumble, and my faith falters sometimes. And I think about Asking sometimes when you ask why, uh, we're we're in good company when we ask why. Sometimes you go to the Psalms, you look in Psalm chapter ten, verse one, and the psalmist himself. I'm not sure if that psalm was written by David or one of the other psalms. I believe it may have been written by David, but in that psalm itself, in Psalm ten, verse one, the psalmist says, "Why, Lord, do you stand far off?" Hmm, that's an interesting question, isn't it? 
But the psalmist asked God, why do you, why are you standing far off from me? Why, he went on to say, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Now, certainly God hadn't moved. We all heard it said and believed that, you know, if there's distance between you and God, it's not God who's moved, right? But, but sometimes we, we feel that way. Let's just be honest. Let's don't try to have this pious spirituality when the truth of the matter is sometimes we wonder, God, why is this happening to me? Why am I struggling so bad, God? Why do I feel like whether it's true or not, and it's not true that God has abandoned us. But God, why do I feel like right now that you've abandoned me? Why do I feel like that you're standing far off? Why do I feel like that you're hiding yourself right now from me in this time of trouble? And what God may answer is to well, take a look in your heart and life, and you will see this and this and this that is causing you to feel that way. But we wouldn't know that unless we asked the, re asked the question, why? So I don't think we ought to beat ourselves up from time to time when we ask God, why? Why is this happening? Why, why are we struggling like this? The psalmist also said in Psalm 42, verse 5, he asked, <laughs> the psalmist was talking to himself then, and sometimes we talk to ourselves. Some people may do that more than they should, but, uh, you know, but, but we do talk to ourselves. And the psalmist said to himself, why, my soul, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why are you in such turmoil within me? He was just kind of doing some, some, some introspection, some, some self-inventory, some self-evaluation. Take a look. What, what is going on inside of me? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling so churned up inside of me? Why have I got such turn? Maybe you feel that way right now. Man, there's a lot of things in our world, in our life, in our circumstances right now that could cause us to be churned up inside, man. I've got some stuff in my own life that sometimes has me churning inside. And I know you do too. So there's nothing wrong with asking, why is this, why is this happening? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I struggling like this? You flip over to the New Testament, go to Matthew chapter 14, and you see, you see Jesus walking on the water. Don't you love that passage? Jesus walking on the water, walks out there and Disciples are all scared and terrified, wondering, who is this? And then they, they know it's Jesus. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come out there to you. Let me come out there to you. And he says, come on. And Peter's the only disciple who gets out of the boat, starts walking on water. And then just like you and I would do, <laughs> gets out there and goes, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? These waves are pounding me. This wind is whipping. The white caps are happening all around me. What am I doing out here? And starts looking at the surroundings, looking at the circumstances, looking at the storm, takes his eyes off Jesus, begins to sink. Don't beat Peter up for that because you and I be in the same place. We have been in the same place. But you know what it says? It says immediately. Listen, y'all. It says immediately. There's a whole nother sermon right there. Jesus reached out to him. When he began to sink immediately, Jesus didn't let him flounder for a while. I'm going to let him learn his lesson. I'm going to let him flounder. I'm going to let him think he's going to drown. I'm going to have a little fun with him, a little I'm gonna toy with him a little bit. Let him just realize how stupid he is for taking his eyes off of me. That's not what Jesus did. Immediately, he reached out his hand to him. And he picked him up. And he said to him, 
like he says to you and me, oh, you of little faith. There, there, that's why you're churned up inside. That's why you feel like God's standing far off from you. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Because we're human and we do. And from time to time, we forget the promises of God's word and we forget the, the truth of who he is and what he's done in our lives and what he's done for all the centuries and how he's proved himself over and over and over again. The greatest is faithfulness. There's one more time, though, that Jesus said, why? One more time that we see him asking, why? Mark chapter 15, verse 34 it says, it says, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, what? Why have you forsaken me? Y'all, if Jesus could ask that question, I think we can too. When we feel like that, when we feel like God's distant, when we feel like when we're in a place of difficult, if it, Jesus <laughs> was in the most difficult place anybody's ever been in and will ever be in. And ask why. So we can ask why. And I think we ought to ask why. And today I want us to ask why about another reason, for another reason. And that is why about us, about us as a church. Why do we do what we do as a church? That's the question for today as we think about the biblical basis of discipleship in this Discipleship 101 series. Why do we do what we do as a church? We talk about making much of Jesus. That's our, that's our, our purpose statement, our slogan, our marching orders. We, we talk about the Great Commission. We memorize the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples and baptize them and teach them and we talk about the Great Commission. We talk about and we stand on the Great Commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. You love your neighbors, yourself. Love God. Love people. Why? Why do we do what we do as a church? And that's what I want us to try to answer today in this sermon on the biblical basis of discipleship. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It's page 814 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have one with you, if you'll grab a Pew Bible there and turn to page 814 so you can read the passive scripture together with us. Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 35, and we're going to read through uh, chapter 10, verse 4. So would you stand please as we read these verses together? And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, plead earnestly, beg the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And he called to him the 12 disciples, his 12 disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, 
James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, the sons of thunder, is what they, those two guys were known as. Uh, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Would you join me as we pray together? We ask you now, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to do what you have always done and what you promised that you would do, and that is, Holy Spirit, you will teach us. You will reveal truth to us. You will remind us of the truth of what Jesus has told us, and then you will give us the power and the strength and the courage to obey. So thank you for that. We yield to you now in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Jesus had a, a threefold ministry while he was on earth, while he was doing his earthly ministry. Now, his overall purpose that he said clearly was that he had come to seek and to save those who were lost. Made that very clear. That's why he's here. Seek and save those who were lost. First sermon he ever preached after, after the temptation in the wilderness uh, by Satan, the 40 days of fasting, the temptation by Satan. And then right after that, Jesus began his earthly ministry and his first sermon that he preached. First thing he said was repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Calling people to repent. Calling people to come to God. And so he came to seek and to save those who are lost. And so he had this threefold ministry that we see here in Matthew 9.35. He had the ministry of teaching. He was teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming or preaching the good news to the multitudes, and then healing their diseases and their sicknesses. And so the, the threefold ministry is the, the ministry of preaching, teaching, and healing. Teaching, preaching, and healing. The threefold ministry. We see that in other places in the Gospels as well. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, right when he began his earthly ministry, it says, Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And then you see in Luke chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, it says, And Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came, listen, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. They came to hear him because he was going to be preaching. They came to hear him because he was going to be teaching. And then they came to be healed of their diseases, preaching, teaching, and healing. The same three things that Jesus did in his ministry are the same three things that the church is to be doing now. You think about what we are supposed to be doing. Why do we do what we're supposed to be doing? Why do we do what we do? This is what we're supposed to be doing because Jesus did it. The reason why we do these things is because Jesus did these things. Certainly we have a preaching, a ministry of preaching as a church from this pulpit, from the pulpit in the refuge service, from this pulpit, we preach the gospel. I will do everything in my power to preach the truth of God's word. People who stand in this pulpit to preach, whether we have people to come in to preach revivals or missionaries who come speak or people to come lead a Bible study. I commit to you that I will do my very best to make sure that the people who stand in this pulpit are people who preach the truth of God's word and preach the truth of the gospel. Guard this pulpit, protect this pulpit because of the importance of the preaching ministry that goes to the multitudes. It says the multitudes came to hear Jesus. Y'all, 
What's happening right now in this room? I know our attendance is down a little bit here today because of COVID and other reasons, but I'm telling you, this potentially has the, uh, the potential to reach multitudes because of our TV ministry, because we're on YouTube, because we're on Facebook. The, the wonder of technology gives us the ability from this pulpit in little Florida, Mississippi, to be able to preach the gospel to the multitudes. And y'all, there are 4.5 billion lost people in the world. So the preaching ministry, but y'all, it's not just this pulpit. The preaching ministry is y'all too. I'm not the only one that preaches. I love preaching, and it blows me away that I get the privilege to do this every Sunday and every Wednesday that I get to preach the gospel. It blows me away. So humbled that I get to do this. But you are a preacher too. When you wear that bracelet, when you have beautiful feet and take the good news to people, when you share your testimony with a lost person, when you take the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, you are involved in the preaching ministry of the church. Preaching ministry. The teacher, certainly we have a teaching ministry. We, we got folks that are in life groups right now. Some of you were in a life group before you came into this room. Somebody was teaching. Your, your, your life group teacher was teaching from the Word of God. And you were gathered together with a small group of people and gathered around the Word to be taught the Word of God. Our women's ministry is doing Bible studies now that you you ladies can get plugged into. Our men's ministry is going to get some Bible studies started before too long. I'm going to be in a Bible study this evening at a friend's house uh, with, with a group of men that we gather together to, to, to study God's Word together tonight. Uh, sometimes those, those Bible studies happen here in the church. Sometimes those life groups and Bible studies happen in people's home. Harvey and Gina Bozeman have a group of, uh, of young adults that meet in their home every Tuesday night for Bible study. And so we have a teaching ministry and that also goes to the discipleship ministry of us discipling people in a one-on-one -on -one way uh, last week I asked in the last week we just had two services 8 o'clock and 9 30 some of you may have been in one of those services but if you're at 8 o'clock last week I, I asked about if you'd ever been discipled one-on-one -on -one. And, and it's so important that we understand that we're to be doing that. I, I have a couple of young men that I'm discipling right now. I meet with them once a week individually, but I meet with one and one uh, once a week, about 30 minutes, that, uh, 30 minutes. We get, we get together for 30 minutes and do some discipleship time together once a week, just the two of them. One of them I led to the Lord, and the other one came to me and wanted to grow in his walk with the Lord. I said, well, let's start getting together once a week. And that's it. That's how it happens. And that's not just because I'm a preacher. That's because I'm a, I'm a child of God, and we're all supposed to be doing that. And, and that's the teaching ministry of discipling people in their walk with the Lord. And then the healing ministry. Man, we're still in the healing ministry. God still heals people. Amen. Do you believe that God still heals? Do you believe that he still heals people? He certainly does. Man, we're still in the healing business. God's still healing people. We pray for healing all the time. Just pray for little Jeff Jones in his heart surgery tomorrow. We pray for people's healing all the time, and God heals people all the time. Have people that call and ask if I will come and anoint them with oil. James chapter 5 that says if you're sick, you call the elders of the church, the pastors of the church to come and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and pray for you to be healed. 
and God will heal you. God will work and heal. And we see that I had my next, my next door neighbor called a couple of weeks ago and asked if I would come to his house, anoint him with oil, pray over him because he had injured his leg severely in an accident in the woods. And it was a terrible injury. And he was so concerned about it. I asked if I'd come and pray. Uh, a group of us went over, anointed him with oil, prayed for him, went to the doctor the next day. And the doctor said, man, this wound looks better than it's ever looked. You're doing great. To God be the glory that he is still in the healing business. But it's not just physical healing, man. It's relational healing, emotional healing. People call all the time and want to come and talk about struggles they're having, addictions they're dealing with, problems in their marriage, problems in their relationships, problems in their walk with the Lord, and they need emotional healing, spiritual healing, relational healing. They come to their pastor and want to get some help with that, but then sometimes they need to go and, and talk with a professional counselor, a Christian counselor, and I, I'm able to send them to friends of mine, Ron Mumbauer and others that are great Christian counselors that have great expertise and passion for the Lord and passion for people because God is still in the healing business and that's the ministry of the church preaching teaching and healing preaching teaching and healing and man we desperately in our day need these three ministries to be strong man how we need to be preaching how we need to be teaching how we need to be involved in the healing ministry of the lord Man, just this morning, I, I told the 8 o'clock crowd I, I shouldn't, maybe shouldn't have done it, but I guess I should have. But this morning, I got to my office early, and as I do on Sundays, and I was printing out my sermon to put it in my little notebook here so I could come and preach today and spend this time with you. And so it's printing over in the other room, and I'm just sitting there at my desk, got my computer open. So I just click over to foxnews.com to see what's going on in the world. I wish I hadn't done that. But I'm glad I did because I just realized, man, the church has such a ministry. These, this broken world we live in, this lost world we live in, this evil world, this, this wicked world that's getting darker all the time. The closer we get to the return of Jesus, Satan gets more and more filled with rage. We see more and more evidence of that. And man, the church better be preaching and we better be teaching and we better be healing because our world needs it so desperately, And which means we better be making disciples like never before. Jesus was going about his threefold ministry there. And it says there, verse 35, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now, I preached this passage here back in September of 2020. But, and so maybe you remember, and maybe you don't, but I, I preached this passage and told you that the word compassion means that Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he was moved in his heart, in his soul, from the depth of his core of his being. He was moved for these people when he saw them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder when we see the crowds of people, how, are we, how do we feel? Are we moved with compassion or are we moved in such a way that we think, man, they're such a nuisance. It's such an inconvenience to have to minister to these people. They don't deserve our ministry. They got themselves in the mess. Let, themselves, let them get themselves out of that mess. It's not my business, not my place. And yet we look at our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He saw the crowds, the people with all their hurts and brokenness and everything else, all their lostness, all their problems, all their struggles, all their hurt, all their ugliness. And he was moved with compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word harassed literally means they were being skinned alive. 
That's what it was like. Their lives are so messed up. It's like they're being skinned alive. They were helpless because they don't know Jesus. And Jesus is the one from whom we get our help. I lift my eyes to the Lord from whence, to the mountains from whence my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth is what the psalmist said. Our help comes from him. You don't know Jesus. You're helpless. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have the shepherd because the good shepherd is Jesus. And when a sheep doesn't have a shepherd, they're going to wander. They're going to get lost. They're going to get hurt. They're going to get attacked. They're going to get killed. Perfect description of our world today. Harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Which is why you and I must be involved with the Lord in his work. Such a perfect description of the de desperation of our world and such a huge reason why we must be involved with the Lord in discipleship. The application of this message is that the biblical basis for discipleship involves every Christ follower in Great Commission work. Every Christ follower. Why question? Why do we do this? It's because of the Great Commission. People are lost and they need Jesus and we got to go to them. There's some components that we need to realize as we look at this passage of Scripture. Number one, God has a plan. God has a plan. You've heard the statement, plan your work and work your plan. Man, God's been doing that from creation, from before creation, planning the work and working the plan. God's got a plan. He's always had a plan, and he's been working that he's not some, some fickle, careless deity who does things in some haphazard, uncaring kind of way. He's a God who has, he is the God who has plans for us. My wife's favorite passage of scripture is Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. Some of you know those verses. If you don't, you ought to know them and you ought to memorize them because they're incredible because they tell us that God says, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and to give you hope. You want to have a future? You need to know Jesus. Amen? You want to have hope? You better know Jesus because he is the hope of the world. Amen? You better know Jesus. And that's God's plan. God has a plan. But he goes on to say in those verses, if you will come and seek me, you will, and seek me with all your heart, you will find me. There's the discipleship component. He said, you'll come and pray to me. You'll come and seek me. I will be found by you. I will hear you. It, that's the discipleship. You come seek the Lord. You want to find his plan, you come seek him. The way you seek him is through discipleship, through staying plugged into him, staying close to him, walking with him. God had a plan for creation. Man, I just finished. I got a group of about 50 or 60 guys now in this big dogs group that I'm that we read the Bible through together every year. And now we, we're doing a chronological reading plan. So we're in Genesis right now. We've already, we're like in Genesis 26, 27, 28 now. So we've already read the great story of creation and God's God's incredible plan for creation and how he's this awesome, majestic creator God. Man, go out into the woods. Go see the wonder of creation. Go to the mountains. Go see the wonder of creation. Go to the beach. See the wonder of creation. Watch a Mississippi Delta sunset and see the wonder of creation. God is an incredible creator God. He said he had a plan for creation. He's got a plan for redemption. He set that plan for redemption in place in the Garden of Eden. 
Not just Jesus on the cross. He already told Adam and Eve, this one Jesus is coming. As a result of your sin, there will be one who will come that will take care of this problem. The plan for redemption, salvation, his plan for the church, his plan for discipleship, that great commission plan that God has for us. In, in that plan, we see that God's, God, God wants us to have spiritual growth. Discipleship is a part. It's why our spiritual growth is a part of discipleship. He, we grow in our walk with the Lord, spend time with him as a disciple of his. Peter Waldo was a great religious leader back way back in the 12th century, and he said this, look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, and learn of Jesus. That's spiritual growth right there. Look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, learn of Jesus. Spiritual growth, sharing Christ with people, wear the bracelet, have beautiful feet, serving others, taking care of people in the church. Man, we got, that's what the church is for. We bear, Galatians chapter 6, we bear one another's, one another's burdens. We take care of each other. We pray for each other. We love each other. We maintain the unity of the body of Christ. We can't get so inwardly focused and taking care of ourselves that we forget about everybody else out there. Then we'd be in big trouble if that happens. We've got to maintain the outward focus, but we minister to one another and serve one another. That's, that's, that's part of the discipleship too. Part of God's purpose. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And God uses people. In his plan, he uses people. God uses people. Last week's message was... Win one, disciple one. If you were here last week, that was the first message in this series. Win one, disciple one. I challenge you and challenge myself sometime over the next 11 and a half months in the, month of, in the year of 2022, sometime, then we, uh, I want to challenge you to win one person to faith in Christ. Win, Christ follower, hey, Christ follower, win one person to Jesus this year. And then disciple one person in their walk with the Lord. That's the challenge. Based on Scripture, not just because I'm trying to tell you to do that because I'm your pastor, but based on Scripture, I challenge you to do what the Word of God says and to win one person of faith in Jesus and then disciple one person in their walk with the Lord. Challenge you to do that. And that's the Great Commission basically boiled down into those four words, win one, disciple one. It's what we're to be doing. But for that Great Commission plan to work, God has got to have some folks who will be workers for him. He's got to have Jesus. His plan is to use, God's plan is to use his people to accomplish his plan. I mean, I think it's interesting that Jesus in there in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and 37, told his disciples, said, hey guys, you see the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he would send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I assume, and I'm, I believe it's a very safe assumption, that those disciples did what Jesus told them to do because they were being pretty obedient to Jesus. They, he had said, come follow me. They followed him. And, and, and they were obeying him. They were walking with what they were doing. So I'm assuming that they said, okay, let's pray. God, send out workers in the harvest field. Lord of the harvest, Father, send out workers in the harvest field. And then one verse later, in chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus called his disciples to him, gave them authority over all the unclean spirits to go cast out those demons and to heal all those diseases. And then the rest of chapter 10 is Jesus sending his disciples out to do. He 
answered their, they prayed and he answered their prayer with them. <laughs> so when you and I go, yeah, boy, we need some people serving the Lord. God, send out people to serve the Lord. Well, you, you just answered your own prayer. You're sitting here. And so you and I are the ones that are to be the answer to that very prayer. Because God uses people in his work, just like he used these disciples in their mission. Man, the beauty of God's plan of discipleship is that he uses all kinds of folks. You look at those disciples, you know, those 12 guys that we got listed there, and we don't. there's some of them that we don't know a lot about because the Bible just doesn't tell us a lot about some of them. But we do know Peter, James, John, Andrew, they were fishermen. Probably a couple of others were too because at the latter part of Jesus' ministry before he went back to heaven, a couple of other guys were fishing with them at the end of, the, of Jesus' ministry. So they were just fishing, normal guys. Matthew, tax collector, Simon the Zealot, he was a political activist. I mean, God uses all kinds of people. And so that says to you and me that we can be used by God. He uses all of us. I, you know, it's football season. Some of us like to watch football. It's the end of college football. NFL's kind of winding, pro football's kind of winding up, and now playoffs and stuff like that. And you look at football. I mean, if you know anything about football, on the offensive side of the ball, when you're, uh, when you're trying to move the ball, you're not going to run. The coach isn't going to run 11 quarterbacks out on the field when, you get, when you're on offense. That'd be stupid. On defense, he's not going to run 11 safeties out on the field when, uh, when they're on defense. He's not going to put 11 nose guards out there on defense. Everybody's got their job. He's going to use different people to do the job. I think I think about a mission trip when I was at Countrywood several years ago. We we were going to Nicaragua. We were taking medical mission trips to Nicaragua. By the way, we're going to do a medical mission trip in June to Haiti. So if that's something that you'd be interested in, be looking for information, you can plug in with us and go to Haiti on a medical mission trip. But we took a medical mission trip to Nicaragua four years in a row. Went to a little village up in the coffee country, up in the mountains of Nicaragua. Real remote village. We got there. It was a big, we took a big group. There's about 40 of us that went. But you know what? It was a medical and dental mission trip. But we didn't take, Brad, we didn't take 40 dentists. We, we took one dentist. We didn't take 40 doctors. We didn't take 40 nurses. We took one dentist. We took a couple of doctors. We took about 10 nurses. We took a few people that knew how to cook. We took some people that would play with the kids while the, Parents were in the medical clinic. We took a guy that preached the gospel 15 times a day. I preached the gospel 15 times a day. It took all of us to make it happen. That's, the, that's a picture of the body of Christ. That's a picture of this group sitting right here. There's some of you that would drop dead if I looked at you and said, come up here and preach today. I mean, there's no way that's going to happen. But that's the beauty of the body of Christ. And God uses people to do his work. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, after he told them to pray, he said, I'm going to give you authority now. Divine. Y'all, if you got divine authority, you got some authority. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, at the beginning of the Great Commission. We're not memorizing that verse, nothing we could. Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18, he said, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, disciples, 
and make disciples of all nations. Man, listen to me. When Jesus says, I've got authority, I'm giving you authority. Look, my friend, you don't have anything to worry about. You don't have anything to be scared about. You don't have any reason to back up or shut up or back down or let down. You keep pressing forward. There's no reason to shut up. There's no reason to shrink back. There's no reason to wonder if God's going to come through for you when you have the authority of Jesus. And he uses his people and gives us his authority. And these disciples, man, they had been with Jesus. They learned from Jesus. They had been taught by Jesus. They touched Jesus. They watched Jesus. They were with him. They hung out with him. They fellowshiped with him. They, they ate with him. They learned from him. And now it was time for them to go and do the things that they had watched him do. Y'all, the people that God uses, God uses people in his plan. And the people that he uses are the people that spend time with Jesus. They know Jesus, and they spend time with him, and they hang out with him, and they hear from him, and they learn from him, and they grow in him, and God uses those people. So be one of those people. And that's discipleship. He's learning more about Jesus and growing in him. God's got a plan, and God uses people, and God gives us power. You know if God calls you, he equips you. And if God calls you, he empowers you. The power that we have, the power that God gives to us, to be the people, back up the, back up the outline, start at the bottom and go to the top. The power that he gives us to be the people that he wants to use in his plan, that power comes from the Holy Spirit who is in us. That power comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives us the power. He is the one who gives us the strength. Psalm 27, 1, the, the psalmist said, the Lord is the strength of my life. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you and he gives you strength. It's his strength, not your strength. He's the one that gives you the knowledge. He's the one that makes you effective. He's the one who gives us success. He's the one who's at work in you when you're witnessing. And he's the one who is at work in the person that you're witnessing to. He's the one who's at work in you and gives you the power when you're the one who is discipling someone. And he's the one who's at work in the person whom you are discipling. He's the power. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you, you know that verse too, where Jesus said, but you will receive power, dunamis, dynamite. You will receive power. That's what that Greek word is, dunamis. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, you know that power came when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came on the church, came on those apostles, and man, the Holy Spirit came. They began speaking in other languages. The people thought they were drunk. They said, no, we're not drunk. This is God. This is the power of God that you're seeing now. And Peter stood up and started preaching the gospel. When he finished preaching the gospel, 3,000 people got saved. Tell me that's not the power of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that kind of church service? Wouldn't you love to be a part of a church where thousands of people are getting saved all the time? When the power of the Holy Spirit's at work, that's what begins happening. The church got together, the church, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and following, the church started meeting together. They were teaching, they were ministering together, they were fellowshipping together, they were taking care of, that was all the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. Because at the end of that, it says, and day by day, day by day, day by day, the Lord was adding to their number those who were being saved. 
Every day people were getting saved. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church where every day somebody's getting saved? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Ah, oh, John, that kind of stuff doesn't happen these days. Shame on us for thinking that way. Later on, Peter and John got arrested because they kept preaching. <laughs> they kept on preaching, kept running their mouths for Jesus. And the religious leaders and authorities kept saying, y'all shut up. You can't do this anymore. You can't keep preaching this. You can't keep doing this. You're stirring the people up. One time it said they were going to, said the authorities said, these guys are coming. These guys are turning the world upside down. <laughs> Wouldn't you love that that's what people would say about us? These folks, those folks are turning the world upside down. And so they brought them in. I think it's in Acts chapter 4. They brought them in. The authorities brought them in. And it says that they were astonished. The religious leaders were astonished at the boldness of Peter and John because they knew that Peter and John were uneducated men. But they also knew that Peter and John had been with Jesus. You know why they were astonished? You know why, they, why Peter and John had boldness? It was God's power, the Holy Spirit power that was in Peter and John when they were preaching. That's what gave them the boldness. That's what gives you the boldness to step out of your comfort zone. I can't talk to anybody. You've got the Holy Spirit power in you to do that, to have the boldness. And the reason they were astonished is because they were just seeing, they were seeing the power of the Holy Spirit at work. <laughs> God gives us power. But be careful. I'll conclude with this. Be careful. Because we can be careless sometimes and live our lives carelessly and grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit. You grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve Him when we sin, when we sin, when we think things we shouldn't think, when we do things we shouldn't do. We grieve the Holy Spirit. You grieve the heart of God. We grieve the heart of God when we sin. I don't want to do that to you. And then we quench the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm a firefighter. I'm all about quenching stuff, man. You call me and your house is on fire. I'm going to come and do everything in my power to try to quench that fire and stop that fire from spreading. But I sure don't want to quench the fire of the Holy Spirit and stop him from spreading. But you know how I do that and how you do that, how we quench the Holy Spirit's power is when we choose not to do what he tells us to do. And we just pour cold water on the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Win one, disciple one. If that's biblical or if, it's, if you think it's just something I've made up, fine. But if you believe that that is biblical and I believe that it is, I wouldn't preach it if I didn't think it was, that we ought to be winning people to Jesus and discipling people in their walk with the Lord. And you believe that that's biblical and you know that that's biblical and you know that that's something that you ought to be involved in doing, but you intentionally choose, oh, I can't do that. I can't witness. I don't have the time to do this discipling stuff. I don't. Then guess what? Just You just... Dropping that wet blanket right on top of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and in the life of this church. I don't want to be the one that quenches the work of the Spirit in this church. But we're all connected to each other. So if I quench it, that means that you're going to be affected by me quenching the Holy Spirit. If you quench it, I'm going to be affected by you quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. You see how important it is. And that's why discipleship is so important. 
so we can then we're going to live that perfect life. We're all going to grieve. We're all going to grieve the spirit. We're all going, but but we grow in our walk with the Lord through discipleship, and God, that's God's plan. So let's just wrap this thing up. God's got a plan. His plan is to use His people. That's you and me, in His work, and He gives us His power to do that. That's the biblical basis for discipleship. So the question for you and me now, invitation is, are we going to join him in his work and in his plan? Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, would you help us now? Father, to hear from you and to respond in obedience, whatever that means for us, Lord, that we will say yes to you. For somebody today, God, it may mean that they need to be saved today. Somebody in this room, somebody that's watching this service on TV needs to be saved. I pray, God, they'll call out to you to be saved. Others, God, may say, you know, John, right now, I'm not walking with the Lord. I'm, I'm quenching the Lord's the power of the Spirit. I, I'm grieving the Spirit right now, and they need to come in brokenness and repentance and have their fellowship with you restored. Others, God, that maybe there's somebody that's being called to ministry, called to missions. They need to say yes to you, Lord. There's somebody else, God, maybe they need to come and join this church family. Connect with us. Help us to do this. And Lord, help us to say yes to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.